0: From the Oregon State University's Extension Service, you are listening to In the Woods with the Forestry and Natural Resources Program. This podcast aims to share the voices of researchers, land managers, and members of the public interested in telling the story of how woodlands provide more than just trees. They provide interconnectedness that is essential to your daily life. Stick around to discover a new topic related to forests on each episode
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to In the Woods podcast presented by the Forestry and Natural Resources Extension Program at Oregon State University. I am your host, Jacob Putney, assistant professor of practice and extension agent in Oregon State University's College of Forestry. To build on the last episode, What's in a Woodland? Today's topic is how forests grow. Our guest today is John Bailey, professor of silviculture and fire management at Oregon State University. John, would you like to give a brief introduction of yourself and the work that you do?
2: Sure, and, and thanks, Jacob, for the, for the introduction. It's uh, quite an opportunity for me to, to be able to share you know, some, of, some of this information uh, with you today. You know, first and foremost, I'm, I'm a forester by training and a civil culturist. So I'm all about growing trees, but I also have a history of being a wildland firefighter uh, and a prescribed burner. Uh, And so the classes that I teach are both the civil culture and the fire classes at Oregon State University and the College of Forestry. Uh, And then the the research that uh, my students and I do center around proactive fuels treatment, post-fire restoration kinds of projects. Uh, Some work on uh, actual active prescribed burning and uh, these days a lot of larger scale Fire behavior modeling, risk analysis, uh, and a little bit of policy work.
1: Thanks, John. That's great. I still remember some of the uh, undergraduate forestry fire classes that I took back when I was a student. Yeah, so back, day. back in the day. Uh, so with that, I guess we'll kind of dive right into it. So how forests grow? So I guess we'll start kind of with the basics. Uh, what are the basic elements that trees need to grow? Well, trees, uh, like
2: <clears throat> the vast majority of plants, they make their own food. Uh, and so, you know, it's all about photosynthesis, a combination of sunlight and CO2 and water that is put together to manufacture carbohydrates that are then moved around and uh, and uh, in order to grow new cells and for the plant to expand and, and function. Of course, it needs uh, enough warmth uh, as well uh, to make all the chemistry uh, work for, for the plants to grow. And that's what defines the growing season, that, that combination of sunlight and warmth and having water available. And uh, which, which of the resources are generally limiting? And that's why I've already mentioned water a couple times. And in this part of the world, uh, the water is for most, most of the year, water is our most limiting uh, factor. We, we have uh, a predictable dry segment of that growing season when we have the sunlight and the warmth, uh, but water just is not available. And that happens sometimes uh, in other parts of the year uh, as well. Uh, Wind water is available, you know, early springtime, right after snowmelt, you know, depending on what part of the state that you're in. Then the most limiting factor next on the list is probably nitrogen. And nitrogen's coming from the organic matter in the soil and that kind of thing. Of course, you know, it's a complex world out there. Uh, and so other things can become limiting, particularly in the colder part of the seasons or on, you know, some of the um more non-fertile soil types. There might be an element uh, like boron or manganese or something that could be limiting or that there could be too much of it but by and large it's a game around water and organic matter nitrogen availability.
1: I did my master's thesis on uh, nitrogen fertilization so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why uh, nitrogen varied so much across some of the coastal forest soils.
2: Exactly, and the big fertilizer elements if you buy a bag down at the store is nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium.
1: So what kind of things affect resource availability?
2: so that's all going to be driven by climate uh, and and microclimate, which is uh, how uh, aspect and elevation and you know small scale differences in topography. Uh, how that how the climate gets expressed on a on a general site of a, a piece of land uh, and, and so that's you know that, that is the water input uh, and, and to a certain extent the sunlight input as well as that kind of climatic picture uh, and then soils are crucial as well uh, both in terms of that organic matter content uh, because of nitrogen and other elements but also the soil depth and soil character that regulates the availability of, the, of, that night, of those nutrients, as well as water availability in and of itself. So you know, this kind of all weaves together uh, to come back to just what, uh, what those basic things are that help uh, plants, trees grow. And then of course there's how many, how many neighbors you know, do you have that are competing for these resources?
1: That's a good point. And I think that brings us kind of to our next topic here is, uh, so in a forest, how does resource availability affect the growth of each of the
2: trees? So, you know, there there are these basic interactions out there and there's, there's some evidence that <clears throat> trees uh, actually uh, can cooperate with one another in terms of uh, sharing resources, root grafting, and symbioses of, of different types, and mycorrhizal relationships with fungus and, and those kinds of things. Uh, but, but by and large, uh, it's really kind of a competition game out there uh, in a, a normal forest uh, setting. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of work looking, trying to look at water use efficiency and your work at nitrogen use efficiency and, and those kinds of things. Uh, But the the larger and more competitive plants uh, actually aren't even that worried about being efficient. There's plenty of evidence that uh, they they use the water that's available and the nutrients that are available because it's a competition game uh, out there.
1: So as a competition, uh, are there some indicators of which trees might be the winners and which ones might ultimately be the losers?
2: Yeah, and that's, that's a game of speed and size and your ability to get out of the gates and get get big fast and put leaf area out and start exploiting those site resources, the water and the nutrients, uh, because that, that establishes early dominance uh, and your ability to have a larger root system, your ability to even cast shade on your neighbors, and that will feed into all of the early growth uh, that will uh, maintain that dominance over time and ultimately get get, your, get you to a, a uh, reproductive age in the, and so that you can be sustained you know, long into the future of the forest.
1: So let's say I just planted a stand of trees. Uh, take us through a timeline of how this stand will develop over time or the stages of stand development.
2: Yeah, well, and people that read up in the the literature of this area these stages of stand development are, are pretty pretty predictable they've uh, we've been thinking about them and working on them for a long time you might see them referenced as stages of stand dynamics and i like the dynamic word because it is all it is a game of of competition and change over time and responses to competition and responses to other disturbances that are happening out there and your ability to grow and exploit the resources, all the things that we've been talking about. And there are four basic stages in stand dynamics. And, you know, other authors, myself included, have embellished on that and inserted little substages sub stages and cycles and all that kind of stuff but for today we'll stick to the kind of the four basic stages and they have good intuitive uh, names the first is just stand initiation when we initiate the stand following some kind of large-scale disturbance and that could be a harvesting you know activity uh, a a heavy harvest you know a clear cut or something close to a clear cut but it also includes floods uh, landscape uh, landslides uh, and of course, my personal uh, favorite, which is the the, uh, the wildfire, and and here these large-scale disturbances uh, would be the more severe, the, the the higher intensity and more severe wildfires out there. So, what happens uh, during this this stage of stand initiation? Uh, all those resources uh, that you know can otherwise limit uh, growth, you know that. Um, you know, there's, there's not water availability, you know, before the disturbance. There's not water available because of the large trees. The large trees might even, you know, tie up nutrients. They're casting a lot of shade. All those fundamental things that a small plant needs. Following a large scale disturbance, uh, you know, the, the, gates are, the gates are open. Uh, for you know any for anything that survives for anything that can sprout for any anything that can germinate from the seed you know they they want to get established quickly occupy the site grow quickly so this stage favors those fast growers and kind of Weedy species. And, you know, I use the analogy you might remember in in some of the classes of you know kind of lining lining up at the buffet, and this this is when this is when the buffet opens following some kind of large scale disturbance. As many resources are going to be as available at, as ever, uh, the competition is is, is an, as intense as ever. Uh, the dynamics uh, are are super fast in terms of how things are changing and how the plants are are interacting in order to exploit those resources, the water, the nutrients, the sunlight, the physical space, all of those kinds of things. Uh, And and this is an interesting stage because, uh, because of all of those dynamics and all of those resources, some wildlife species really favor these kind of early seral conditions, to use the ecological term. Uh, And uh, they they are closely tied to uh, the availability of resources and those resources being close to the ground uh, during this stage of stand development. Uh, And the diversity is is the highest because of that. There's the greatest range of conditions and the greatest numbers of species of of plants and bacteria and and bugs and birds. Uh, This this is a high diversity uh, stage. And this this stage lasts, you know, as long as the resources that were created by the large scale disturbance are still available. As long as that growing space is there and new things can be coming in, uh, then then we're still in the stand initiation phase. But when that kind of growing space is no longer available, you know, then we enter uh, what is known as the STEM exclusion phase. And that's another intuitive term. This is when individual stems Start to exclude each other because the exploitation of the available resources only comes at the expense uh, of your neighbor. Uh, so you know you're you're going to get bigger uh, and use water and use nutrients and capture sunlight. Uh, since since there's not new resources available, uh, those resources are only available uh, if you, well, to be blunt, you know, kill your neighbor. Uh, for for this, so the but the buffet isn't an unlimited buffet anymore, and so there's competition uh, for everything that is is out there, and uh, those resources, the the food on the buffet table is being being claimed uh, by the bigger uh, and more aggressive individuals. They, they are the winners. And that's why during that stand initiation phase, being able to get out quickly and establish some dominance then carries into this STEM exclusion phase, which then can carry on into decades, if not centuries into the future. During the stem exclusion phase, maintaining a really big crown that can capture the sunlight and maintain your dominance. And you can keep your root system large as well. And you can photosynthesize and grow. She continue to shade out your neighbors as they die. Uh, you can capture those resources that become available. And in this way, a, a stand of trees, a forest uh, self-thins over time. The larger dominant individuals keep getting bigger. Uh, the smaller individuals become overtopped, suppressed, uh, and ultimately die. Uh, fall to the forest floor and the nutrients start getting recycled and they're no longer using any, any of the sunlight or water or nutrient resources. Uh, and this, this continues to happen and, and fairly predictably. Uh, we, have, we have very well-established models that look at this rate of self-thinning. Uh, and how big the trees can get and the characteristics of the trees, they become you know, taller and straighter as they're competing with each other relative to more open-grown trees. And uh, the, through the process of self-thinning, relatively small openings are created and the resources are captured by those dominant individuals. Uh, and that continues to happen until the individuals that are dying because of self-thinning or, or other disturbance processes in the stand, until a very large openings start being created. Uh, and that's when we enter the third stage called understory reinitiation, another nice intuitive term. So in this, in, in this stage, the openings that are created are large enough for regeneration to become established and survive long into the future and and start developing stands into uh, multiple stories. so So you have a second story and then if the opening is big enough or another opening happens next to it, you can have a third story and then a fourth story as you head towards some with a lot of vertical structure and horizontal diversity and mixes of species as more uh, shade-tolerant individuals can come in into that stand. And this third stage of understory reinitiation continues. uh, And, you know, if if it goes long enough before another large-scale disturbance comes through, uh, then ultimately we end up in, in the fourth stage, which is that classic old growth, mature forest, late seral kind of conditions where you basically have a full mix of tree sizes and species, lots of standing down wood, lots of large down logs uh, on the floor. uh, And and we're in a more uh, self-sustaining system of small scale disturbances that maintain that mature structure over time, or at least until another large-scale disturbance comes through. And this is where the the size and nature of those uh, disturbances um, you know, really guides which part of the stages that uh, you're interested in and that your current stand is in. So if you're growing wood uh, as an industrial uh, forest manager or as a a small private landowner that wants to grow trees quickly and maybe ultimately enter a a market and sell some logs and those kinds of things, you're going to be really interested in that stand initiation phase and stem exclusion phase. You're going to want to get through stand initiation very quickly uh, and then manipulate the tree characteristics through thinning and other practices during the stem exclusion phase until your crop, until the trees are large enough Uh, that you can sell them and then you're going to do another large-scale disturbance, a harvest and start it over again, go quickly through stand initiation, get the the species established that you want and the spacing that you want, get it quickly into stem exclusion, do the whole thing again or at least your children or your grandchildren will. If you're more interested in the structural kind of characteristics uh, and uh, the, the aesthetics and the habitat value of older, more mature forest types, then you're not in that much of a hurry to go through the stand initiation phase following a big disturbance. But you might want to shorten the stem exclusion phase uh, because you want the trees to, you want the individual trees to grow larger, faster, and you like the openings, and you want to start multiple stories and a range of species in there. And so there you, you, you thin heavily in the stem exclusion phase and create gaps so that you can do the understory reinitiation And you foster that tree growth going through the future to develop the largest trees and the more mature forest structure as quickly as you can. So that's that's how we use these basic principles and our knowledge of these four stages of stand development uh, in order to create the kinds of conditions uh, that we want as landowners that that match our management objectives.
1: uh, I'm always surprised that even in some of the even age stands is how much heterogeneity there is and how just the interaction of these trees can create uh, different stratifications both vertically and horizontally. Um, So you talked a lot about disturbance and the the role that it has in some of these stages. Uh, Is there anything you'd like to add on disturbances in general?
2: well to you know we we can manipulate those disturbances in terms of their frequency and their intensity that you know match our management objectives as as best we can you know fire is a is a great disturbance process uh, we can actively manage uh, the, the stand uh, or the, the landscape to try to keep fire out, or we can use fire as a tool to manage long-term fire risk and, and those kinds of things going into the future. Uh, same with thinning. You know, thinning is, uh, is our, our human-imposed um, selection of, of the winners and the losers.
1: So, I guess kind of as we're coming towards the end here, is there anything else you'd like to add on how forests grow?
2: Yes, you know, I, th- I, think, I think we have to talk about climate, climate change and, and wildfire and, and what that's, you know, currently you know, representing for us now of course the warmer temperatures and higher co2 levels will increase the fundamental growth rate where we kind of started uh, this podcast and and that will speed up stand development in that sense trees will grow faster if there is sufficient water availability of course that's that's a big unknown Um, and the other big unknown is if those disturbance processes and and the scale of them, the mix of small scale and large scale disturbances, insects and wildfire, if those don't fundamentally change as, as we go forward. And that's also a big unknown in this age of climate change and wildfire. You know, how, uh, how big will the fires be? How, how, what will be the patch size of these events? And that'll be driven by the weather conditions during the fire season when these fires uh, actually happen. Uh, but despite this, you know, this unknown, uh, our land management professionals are, are being well prepared. OSU College of Forestry, as you know, is one of the best programs in the nation. And, you know, we pride ourselves on the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we're training, uh, have trained you. Uh, and, you know, we're training other, you know, generations of professionals that can uh, can take on these, these challenges. And, you know, the forests are... Fundamentally, you know, more resistant and resilient to these various disturbances than we ever give them credit for. Uh, so I don't want to be too much of a of a doctor doom about climate change and uh, and wildfire. Uh, there will be some things that are that happen that that we haven't a- anticipated, but uh, the forest is resilient. Um, we we have good land management professionals. Uh, so we'll uh, I I stay optimistic. Uh, moving moving forward
1: but I wanted to thank you for joining us today John Uh, as we start to kind of wrap up here um, we have a few questions that we'd like to ask each of our guests Uh, the first one
2: being what is your favorite tree (laughs) <laughs> that's a tough one since I'm a Virginian native uh, originally uh, even though I would often say I'd have to say that you know Douglas fir uh, is king. I, I think today I'll say that my favorite tree is yellow poplar, tulip poplar, Lyriodendron tulipifera.
1: That's great, yeah, it's hard to uh, not say Douglas fir, being from Oregon as well too, yeah. but uh, I think the western larch is a close second for me, so. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what is the most interesting thing you bring with you in a field, whether in your cruiser vest or f- other field kit?
2: Hmm, it's, it's hard to ad- identify a, a single thing, but through my, I started my career uh, carrying, uh, you know, coming out of Virginia, carrying just a, just a, a pocket knife, and a multifunction mm-hmm. pocket knife. Uh, the years in Flagstaff, Arizona, Northern Arizona University, really taught me to carry chapstick as well. And with the advances in technology, my pocket typically now includes a third thing, a thumb drive.
1: Yep, in the age of technology, right? So lastly here, uh, what resources would you recommend to our listeners if they're interested in learning more about how forests grow?
2: Well, you know, we're blessed with the Ofrey Group, which I know is uh, co-sponsors this podcast series. Uh, so you know, we we have one of the strongest extension programs and we have the Ofrey Group here in the in the state. Uh, plus I'm a big fan and a long term member of the Nature Conservancy. Uh, and and so they they put out great information and have really good success stories that i often refer students uh, to particularly when they're kind of overwhelmed with the challenges
1: well that's great thank you john
0: thanks so much for listening show notes with links mentioned on each episode are available on our website blogs.oregonstate.edu in the woods podcast we'd love to hear from you visit the tell us what you think tab on our website to leave us a comment suggest a guest or topic or ask a question that can be featured in a future episode and also give us your feedback by filling out our survey in the woods is produced by lauren grand perry berger jacob putney stephen fitzgerald and jason o'brien who are all members of the oregon state university Forestry and Natural Resources Extension Team. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Oregon Forest Resources Institute. Music for In the Woods podcast was composed by Jeffrey Hino, and graphic design was created by Christina Freehoff. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we can't wait to talk to you again next month. Until then, what's in your woods?